Welcome to the Center for Sport and Human Rights podcast series focusing on the sport-related impacts of COVID-19 on children. I'm Mary Harvey, CEO of the Center for Sport and Human Rights. In this, our sixth and final episode, we look toward the future and are reminded of the value and beauty that sport and play provide not only to millions of children around the world, but also to the ideals of cooperation, community, competition, and peace. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all our guests who have provided engaging and interesting insight throughout the entire series, and we hope that you, our listeners, will continue this conversation. With that, I would like to thank and introduce our host, Kirsty Burroughs. Hello and a warm welcome to the sixth and final episode of the Centre for Sport and Human Rights podcast series, which focuses on the sport-related impacts of COVID-19 on children. In today's episode, we'll discuss the role that sport can play in building back to a better future. And I'm really honoured to welcome today's guests, Dr. Najat Malamajid, United Nations Special Representative to the Secretary-General on Violence Against Children, and Elder Moreno, head of the Children's Rights and Sports Values Department at the Council of Europe. I'd also like to introduce Dr. Chongwon Cho, president of World Taekwondo, who unfortunately couldn't join us live, but who we managed to catch up with earlier on the week, and we shall hear from him a little bit later. So Najat, Elder, thank you so much for being here, and I'm, I'm really happy to speak to you both. I am really happy to join and to have this interactive chat, uh, chat with my friend, Elda Moreno. And with you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you both. So as I said, you know, before we look forward, we must look back. And if we look back over the last year, you know, our lives have changed uh, beyond recognition, you know, the way we shop, the way we work, the way we socialize. And so I'd like to ask, start with quite a broad question. You know, we've seen that measures to restrict the spread of the virus have impacted most areas of our lives, as we say. And I'd like to ask, how you think these measures might be impacting children in sport and if you believe that some of these restrictions um, that have been placed and that are restricting children's access to sport are contributing to a greater appreciation of of the importance of children's right to play. Um, Shall I come to you first Najat? Okay Uh, yes this pandemic you know we are at least around uh, more than nine months of pandemic and we are still waiting you know for the uh, the ending of this pandemic and I, what we know and really t- was impacting children worldwide because of the mitigation measures, you know, school closures, you know, confinement, social isolation, you know, also the added stress on family regarding, you know, the jobless, the health, the in- uncertainty that made children really, really more vulnerable to first various forms of violence and among them increasing domestic violence, children were witnessing and experiencing domestic violence. The other point is also the fact that children also were really more and more connected and all the risk of violence online against children. And we saw child sexual abuse material increasing. You know, we saw also bullying, cyber bullying, you know, many hate speech and so on. But what I want really to focus on is the mental health and well-being of these children. 
and the health of these children. Many of them were confined, and I can uh, I never forget my grandson who was five, who is five years old in Morocco was confined, you know, during at least two months and a half without having the possibility to go outside to play, to access, you know, to recreational, uh, you know, activities, to leisure outside. It's crazy, and I think really when we are speaking about development, sport is included in and uh, all the uh, physical activities are part, I am pediatrician, are part of the development of children, physical development, mental development, well-being of these children, behavior of these children. And we need really to make sure that the lessons learned from the first lockdowns are really taken into account in all these second waves, but it's duly and uh, really harmed children worldwide. And just one point also regarding the most vulnerable children who are living, you know, in an uh, institution, in humanitarian setting, you know, disabled children, children on streets, many, many who are really very vulnerable, will have no access also. And sport is really, and access to sport, to physical activity is a right and is a need. It's not only a lux. This is very important. It's really ensured in the Child Rights Convention and all in the SDGs. And really, this is an important uh, piece of you know protecting children because i want also to focus on my my it was my it will be my last point regarding you know, the role of sport you know when uh, coaches and sport teachers the role that they could play also uh, to make children reporting on violence because if uh, you know children have no possibilities really because currently you have all child protection you know uh, services who are closed just to give you a number one point 8 billion children are living in countries where social protection services were disrupted. Well, that's incredible and a hugely important point you make there. As you say, the COVID-19 pandemic has been described as a shadow pandemic for violence against women and children. And the impact on education and the disruption has been huge. Elder, I wonder if I can ask if you have any points that you might like to add on whether you feel that perhaps the measures that have been implemented to restrict the spread of the pandemic, which have also then, you know, affected uh, or impacted children's ability to participate in sport um, to varying degrees. Do you think this might have highlighted, um, in a way, how important a child's right to play is? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, one of the challenges when we refer to children is that uh, we tend to refer to them as a pack, as an homogeneous group. And of course, uh, it also very much depends on, on the age of the children, as, as Najat was saying, also on the circumstances of these children. So those countries that uh, during the first wave of the pandemic imposed very restrictive measures like uh, Najat was uh, referring to, you know, uh, not allowing children to go to the street to play. Uh, to make sport outdoors and this was the case in my country as, uh, as well fortunately in the second wave they have reconsidered their position and then uh, actually their children are, are now uh, because it was obvious uh, that uh, there, there are many benefits uh, for children to go outdoors and uh, that uh, this must be guaranteed so from that perspective um, I think that maybe we see uh, we have seen uh, 
that governments and uh, you know those in uh, that have been uh, uh, imposing uh, the measures have realized that actually uh, it was uh, quite counterproductive to keep children uh, at home. So um, we in the Council of Europe we we are working with the ministries of sport of 39 states and um, it seems for what they are saying that in many countries adults that usually practice sport turn to in-house solution to to maintain physical activity it also seems that many adults that never practice sport discover the practice of at home based sport with online online trainers but almost all countries indicate that children were the ones to suffer the most in particular young children and i frankly see also the increased popularity of e-sport as worrying so uh, now we have decided to collect uh, data on this to have uh, a clear picture um, and uh, we we hope to be able to to see um, what has happened and uh, learn from what has happened and have of course a better case for uh, what is coming thank you very much elder and we've actually just recorded a podcast on esport and it's a very very interesting area as, as you said we're seeing huge increases in participation and in viewership we're also seeing how in some ways the esports industry has responded or is responding by increasing safeguards and um, actually developing initiatives to try and promote balance and use esport as a mechanism uh, through which children can continue to interact and uh, as you say the importance is is, is, is ensuring a safe environment um, you also touched upon the huge importance of the current impacts we're seeing, for example, on children's physical health and mental well-being. And this is certainly of a concern because, you know, in these key development years, um, children are really setting their health routines and health health behaviours. And it's, it's certainly a concern to see how the, the pandemic might impact that. I'd like to ask you and turn the attention a little bit towards schools, because we know that schools have also been impacted across the world. Do you have any concern that attention may be shifted away from play and physical activity and the importance of sport and more of a focus put on core curricula as a way to redefine balance having had such a period of disruption in education yes uh, I, I, I think it's uh, yes it's there, there is a risk not only because they don't want policymakers don't want to pay attention but also because of the huge impact uh, socio-economic impact that will affect all the fiscal budget and here is one main point. And currently, many countries are working on drafting their socio-economic uh, recovery plan. And it's our role to make sure, uh, really, that you know, child protection services, health, mental health, education, as well as social protection more widely, are really seen as an investment and as essential services. And I think here what it's important for us is also to use the framework of the SDGs because you have these big links between development, human rights, sports, peace, and currently building back better. And I think that building back better is a good opportunity because we need to reassess the priorities and the way we are working. And here it's push us more and more really to establish this cross-sectoral, you know, child rights-centered approach. What does it mean? When we are working on children, education is not only school. Education is more wider than that. 
Education is also all the access or development of personal skills, values, culture, the access of child really to other additional activities, sport, leisure, rest, and so on, artistic. But also health is not only about not being ill, it's also being well. And being well, you know, sport is one big, and physical activities is really one big component. And third, really if we want to fight violence and to build peaceful, just and inclusive society, it's really important really to embed sport within this block global response. This is very important. Why? Because sport also is one big, you know, channel of promoting values of non-discrimination, of equality, of respect, of dignity, of tolerance. And here I think that all the sports organization at global level, regional level and local level have to reassess their priority, to review their approaches and really to make sure that inclusiveness, equality, non-discrimination, you know, protection to make sure equal access and socialization and reaching the most vulnerable, you know, while ensuring access for all based on a gender approach when we're really and non-discrimination approach, they are building a really organization that are very strong, that at the same time have wonderful child safeguard. And here we are, we want to push because we were pushing and I think it's a strong moment to really implement this and also to have really accountability mechanism for reporting what is going on, you know, when you have some violence and in the same time to end corruption and impunity. And the most important thing is also, if we are within the framework of SDGs, is also the participation of all the persons, not only the decision maker, but also children. And here it's important to make sure that children are seen as part of the solution in building back better, listening more about what they want. And also I think, because as highlighted by Elda, to, to really work more and more strongly and closely through partner Build, building partnership, including ICT, because esports is increasing and it will continue. And we have to have access, but also child protection online. Thank you, Najat. What an incredible summary of the contributions that sport can make to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. A, a really fantastic summary. And um, Elder, I'd like to come to you following on from what Najat said, how can we use this hiatus in sport to really encourage sports organisations to look at how sport can contribute contribute to the um, sustainable development goals? Um, and, you know, in, in areas such as gender equality, representation and, and creating safe spaces for children? Yes, of course, um, I fully, fully agree uh, with uh, what uh, Najat uh, said. And uh, I guess that the, the wise and the smart thing to do, you know, when we see that many of the health conditions that make people vulnerable to the virus could be prevented with sport. I mean, the obvious um, uh, measure would be, okay, let's not weaken sport, but even further strengthen sport. If we want to really build more resilient uh, societies also for the, uh, from the health uh, point of view. And, um, 
but uh, indeed, when you you asked about the if we are worried about uh, what can happen now, and uh, I see that uh, we have to watch this space. Also, also both uh, when it comes to budget of governments, but also sports organizations. So we have uh, seen some. Uh, tendencies to lower some standards uh, that would allow, you know, with measures that would allow organizations to recover financially more quickly. So I think that it is really very important that we, uh, yeah, that don't let that happen. So um, I think that is as in every single crisis, uh, children have been hit the hardest and um, maybe not in terms of deaths uh, caused by the virus, but but uh, by uh, its side effects. And uh, there there's a lot that uh, sports organizations can, can do. I think that uh, keeping showing the multiple benefits of sport for both individuals and society, it is something that we all must work on. But uh, there are some things like, uh, you know, if, if, if we want sport to be valued, I think that we have to base sports on values. We need a sport values base so that sport is valued. And um, as Najat said, I mean, the Council of Europe now is uh, working hard to uh, review the, the, the European Sport Charter to include the right to sport. And uh, when it comes to sports organizations also, and in the perspective, perspective of the sustainable de uh, development agenda, I think the issue of good governance is, is key. Because if we do not um, have organizations that are uh, governed um, uh, you know, with the principles of democracy, of participation, uh, uh, a values-based governance, I think that uh, we will lose uh, the case uh, because um, it cannot be, uh, I mean, even if individuals' uh, initiatives uh, can be extremely good, uh, but uh, we need a system that uh, relies on, uh, on solid principles and uh, rules and, um, yeah, and a solid commitment uh, from the community, uh, sports community at large. Thank you very much, Elder. And I think this, you know, this reminds me of a conversation recently um, that I had with a fellow author of the of the uh, COVID nineteen, the impact of COVID nineteen um, on children in sport paper, um, who said, you know, we were talking about how important it is to ensure that actually children's voices and the voices of people who's who who we hope to impact, or so for example, when we look at safeguarding in sport, ensuring that athletes who we're hoping to we're writing policies to try and safeguard athletes, make sure that they're represented in the development of such policies and considering both of your incredible experience in the in the rights of children um we'd li i'd like to ask you you know if you have any recommendations for sports organizations and how they can empower young people or young athletes um, to ensure that their voices are heard as we move forward and as we look to try and develop policies to build sport back safer yes you know when we are speaking about child participation we uh, you know uh, label it as ethical inclusive and meaningful it's not only about wordings and concepts. It's about how we are going. Child participation is not an exhibit one shot and after we forget. It's not bringing these wonderful children speaking, uh, you know, and after applauding and after forget. It's a process that has to be systematized. To do that, 
you have to take into account, you know, have this appropriate child and sensitive approach, taking into account the age, the disabled, you know, the many things to make sure that first they have access to information in a regular way that really is understandable. This is one to really listen to their voice. Listening to their voice is really having this empathic and active listening. It's not only about. The other point is involving them in the discussion. This is very important to see how they can be part of the solution. Just to let you know that currently, uh, children are more and more active. They were more and more active before the COVID due to internet, due to more access to information, sometimes good information, sometimes bad information. They are really having many blocks. They start protesting. They, you have wonderful social movements that are led by children. And I think it's really important to see them, to include them in the response because they are aware about. And we have wonderful examples during the COVID when I am currently mapping all the initiative and all the civic engagement made by children, and it's amazing. They are raising awareness, they are sharing experiences, they are providing psychosocial support, they are avoiding, uh, uh, you know, providing training. When they can't use, you know, internet, they are using radio, TV, they are raising awareness, helping communities. And really, I think we need to build on that. They are they have an active role. The other point is how we can also establish, you know, safe pathway to make children express themselves in a freely manner, but also in a protective manner and in a safe environment. The other point that it's important is the restitution to children. It's not only speaking with them, but what is important is to restitute, to involve them in designing, but also in implementing and monitoring. And Another point, what is important, is also to make sure that we are accountable to children. And I think this is a big opportunity for the sport world. It could be from states, governments, you know, state, local governments, uh, sports organizations, the organizer of mega event sport, those who are recruiting children, because this is important also to take into account. It's a really strong moment to reassess the way they are working and to make sure that children are part of the solution because they are the real experts about what they want, what they experience, and what we can do. And it has to be systematized. And just to let you know, and it will be my final point, that you have many guidance regarding children's part participation within Europe, within many places. And I think what is important is really to change the mindset of those who are really, and to, to start when we are listening and empowering children, because we need to provide skills, is the best way. When you, you know that you have some wonderful example of children promoting, you know, peaceful, promoting tolerance, and you have all these sports, you know, these athletes, uh, young athletes, uh, really who are also promoting. And I think it's really important to see children as part of the solution as partners and as key actors of positive change. Completely agree with you. And, and, and Elder, I wonder if you might have any concrete examples of how sports organisations could really address some of those points that Najat has brought up. Have you any examples or perhaps have you seen any sports organisations or sports ministries already adopting measures to ensure the voices of children are heard in initiatives to bring sport back safer? 
Yes, yes. Um, uh, you know, we have uh, quite uh, a broad experience now uh, of, uh, uh, of course, also many frustrations because uh, child participation is not something all, only that we promote, but only uh, something that we also try to practice. <laughs> and, and it is a challenge. And I think that while it is uh, absolutely uh, crucial to, uh, you know, to, to set the framework, the, the principles and uh, everything that uh, Najat mentioned, one of the difficulties indeed is the, the mindset, is that um, I think that uh, the obstacle in, uh, in sports organizations, as uh, it has been uh, in many other settings, is that adults do not look at children like uh, agents of change, like uh, um, you know, uh, owners of rights, uh, rights holders. Uh, and um, I think that it, sometimes it starts by empowering adults. And this is what uh, I, I've been uh, doing with some sports organizations is that we have to, to uh, make sure that uh, coaches, sports managers, club owners look at children differently as people with feelings, with rights and agency, and uh, help them engage um, with them, give them tools and concrete ideas on how to run a, a session where children can participate, how to react to what, how to listen, how to uh, um, also afterwards give uh, them feedback on uh, how they have uh, taken into account the initiatives, etc. And this reminds me very much of our experience also with corporal punishment and parents when we try to to uh, you know, uh, to change parents' attitudes and uh, towards positive parenting, uh, parenting, because the starting point is that uh, when these uh, you know coaches uh, and um, uh, sport people are helped, most actu adults actually enjoy a lot an environment where children are empowered and feel safe. It is not only more pleasant for everybody, but also more effective in terms of performance and, and loyalty to the club. And uh, I also think that parents uh, must know what is important for them, what is important for their children, and also ask uh, questions to the club. Very often, uh, you know, uh, coaches tell me, you know, the first time that uh, parents come to see me, um, they don't ask about, uh, you know, my credentials, about my approach to sport. They just ask where can they buy the equipment, where can, you know, nothing about, they are going to put their children in the hands of somebody. And uh, parents do not ask the right questions. So it's also very important that families are empowered in this uh, environment and, uh, and put the same questions and, and push uh, clubs and federations to uh, move in the right uh, direction. But of course, this cannot, although it is very important to gain the people and the persons, uh, uh, it is not, um, we cannot be, uh, leave this to the goodwill of individuals. Uh, rules and other incentives, uh, codes of conduct uh, are really important to, to achieve the transformation needed. And this is why we are promoting uh, the adoption of child safeguarding policies. One example that I can give is that the, the work we have done with FIFA on the uh, FIFA Guardians uh, program. And I think that uh, uh, the feedback that they have now in the, uh, how they are engaging with the member associations is just fantastic. Also people are really very hungry, are enjoying these, uh, these uh, trainings and they are really Really looking forward to uh, to change the world, the, the the way they uh, relate to children. 
there is some fantastic work being done in this area and as you say it's still a long way to go but perhaps we could see this hiatus in sport or, or, or restriction in, in, in sport and sporting networks at the moment perhaps this does give us the opportunity to take stock and, and to consider the role that sports can play and also the responsibility that sport has is ensuring sp safe spaces um, and that we really reflect the values of sport. Elder, you mentioned a point earlier, which I thought was really interesting about how we've seen that with COVID-19, physical health and physical fitness um, may be something which has been recognised as a potential factor which can help decrease risk. Do you think that sport can help society become more resilient to crises, either directly in terms of physical health and well-being or in terms of the values that sport is built upon? Well, absolutely. I think that... Um... Uh, sport, uh, of course, that, uh, as uh, the papers that have been uh, prepared on, uh, on uh, sport and sustainable development goals uh, show very clearly, uh, is uh, such a fantastic uh, enabler uh, and a vehicle for uh, and factor of uh, social inclusion, uh, of course. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, we shouldn't hide, we should also use the economic uh, arguments. I mean, uh, the enormous amount of money that the health system could, could uh, save, you know, and the insurance companies uh, if uh, uh, we promoted much more uh, the practice of sport. Uh, it can also contribute to protect the environment. Uh, for instance, uh, transforming cities uh, where it is nice and safe for everyone to walk, to run and bike. And now we have been collecting also good practices in the Council of Europe of amazing uh, initiatives in many uh, cities uh, across Europe uh, that are really bringing people to, to practice sport for the first time. Uh, and of course, I also think that values-based uh, sport contributes to conflict prevention and resolution, to solidarity, and, and not only respect, but appreciation for uh, diversity. Uh, also think that uh, champions in sport can also champion values, values, and they should champion values, uh, raising the awareness of millions just with, with a tweet. It is uh, as simple as that, and uh, it can be uh, a, a factor of transformation. And as I, as I said, uh, I think that uh, including the right to respect in the right to sport for everybody, for children, and uh, but also for adults, and um, uh, promoting good governance, I think that uh, if we manage to do these uh, two, to include these two changes in the way uh, sport policies are developed, uh, sports organizations uh, uh, function, operate, uh, I think that, uh, you know, it will be we will not need to do uh, uh, more the case I mean the, the case will be clear thank you so much Najat yes I, I just want to I totally agree with Elda this is really when we are speaking about resilience uh, yet yeah, you have many uh, steps you have the resilience of the whole society the resilience of the cities and the environment where children are living and the resilience of human being, including children. And I think, yes, when we, it is why I come back again to tell, if we use the opportunity of building back better, reassessing, you know, the way of the work of many, many, many organizations and many, many domains, including sport, and seeing sport not as parallel, but embedded, you know, in education, in health, in development, in promoting human rights, in really ensuring, you know, uh, 
good and uh, sustainable environment, this in promoting peace and promoting values of you know, solidarity, participation, social inclusion, non-discrimination, if sport as a whole reach the most vulnerable, making sure that they have an equal access and inclusive access. This is very important because, as uh, was highlighted by Elda, you have also many, you know, huge money that could be. And I think it's really important currently because when we are speaking about sports, it's not only about FIFA and so on, but you have all this big federation, but you have a big discrimination between, you know, big federation and this national, you know, organization. We have to not forget sport inside schools, sporting clubs, sport within uh, other organizations to make sure that we are seeing sport as a whole, not only these pieces and not only waiting for matches and so on. Another point I think is also when we are going to build back better, it's also the issue of all these mega events or mega sport events. And here it's really important. If you remember, I think they could play a big role. We already had many bidding criteria and so on. But I think here, really, if, they, if this mega uh, sport event could be, have to be, not could be, have to be a tool really for increasing development, inclusiveness, equality, non-discrimination. It means also, and we come back to governance, it means also transparency. It means that we are sure that when we are investing, we are not harming, but we are empowering population. And to make sure that we are really, really compliant with the rules and the values, it's not only about slogan and wording, it's about acting. And here, when we are speaking about respecting, safeguarding, it means also accountability, making those who really violate this rule accountable. In the same time, it means capacity building, empowering, training, sharing, not only at the global level, but also the coaches train and empowering families, communities, and children themselves to have this counterbalance. And my last point, if you want also to be resilient and to see it as a development, economic development, we have to take into account also the recruitment of children in many places. And here it's about also the, if it's, you have many bad things currently regarding it's, we don't know if it's sale, trafficking, the living condition, the transfer of the children, uh, it's it become like good. And here it's really important to review the whole system. And it is possible, really, it is possible. It's uh, really underlining there that it's not just about awareness. We have to we have to match awareness with action, and we have to ensure that we where we talk the talk, we also walk the walk in sport um, and recognizing the uh, the role that sport has to play here. And speaking of talking the talk and walking the walk, I recently had the pleasure and opportunity to sit down with Dr. Chongwon Cho, President of World Taekwondo and the initiator and chairman of the Board of Trustees of the Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation, to hear a little bit more about the work the foundation is currently doing across the world and to discuss how sports organizations can come together to better support children in humanitarian situations and really bring sport back safer. Dr. Cho, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Wonderful to see you. It's fantastic to talk to you today. Dr. Cho, I'd really love um, for our listeners to hear a little bit more, first of all, about the Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation and some of the fantastic uh -huh. work that you've been doing. Would you be able to give us an overview of the foundation? Yes, uh, I think uh, we are the first international sports federation who found uh, Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation to support the refugee children in many different refugee camps. 
was quite successfully launched in 2016, and we are happy to support the Repu Children's to learn and grow through our sports, and also we are teaching them the educational program, like uh, how to live as a good global citizen, and also to stressing and focusing the importance of Olympism and uh, world peace. So this is uh, really uh, wonderful for us you know, to support the refugee children and give them uh, hope and dreams through our sports. This is incredible. I mean, what a fantastic demonstration of how sport, as you say, can promote the values of Olympism and can be so important to children around the world. And, you know, what we're talking about within this podcast series, of course, is the is the COVID-19 pandemic and the effect it's having on children around the world. And I was reading yesterday all about the uh, the, the Humanitarian Foundation of World Taekwondo. And, you know, I, I love the, the, the opening message that you have on the website there as the chairman talking about the number of people who are forcibly displaced. And maybe that's not common knowledge, but, um, you know, just to reiterate the information um, that I found on your website, the UNHCR estimates that 79.5 million people were forcibly displaced at the end of 2019. It's huge. And 40% of those are children. Um, So, you know, what we know at the moment that COVID-19 is, you know, people are continuing continuing to be forcibly displaced throughout this period. Um, So more children are at risk. And and we know that COVID-19 is is deepening the pre-existing vulnerabilities of the forcibly displaced. So I would like to ask you, sort of, as as chairman of, of, of the Board of Trustees of the Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation, how do you consider the pandemic is impacting children's ability to participate in sport, especially those who are forcibly displaced? Well, as you know, it's really a lot. So as you know, that according to the World Health Organization, children and youth between five and 17 years old, should do at least 60 minutes of moderate physical activity. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, studies have shown that children are not getting enough exercise due to changes in lifestyles. With the pandemic, it has become more challenging for children to have access to exercise. Should, you know, they can try to exercise at home, but it's not the same as going to the playground or practicing sports. So we still need time to see if this becomes a more serious situation, like having lesser children practicing sports professionally in the future. Yeah, I think it's a hugely important point. And as you, as you say, the, the ability to practice sport is so important for children's development. And and, and it's really, really been impacted. And are you seeing is, are you seeing an impact as well for those in humanitarian situations? I know you're running from incredible programs in Jordan, is it? And I was reading up where you were running the programs. Are you, are you seeing these programs being impacted at all? Oh, yes, a lot. Because in the first place, children in refugee camps already have difficulty in having access to sports. With the current situation, it is even more challenging to have access since especially to contact sports. So in Azra camp in Jordan, for instance, the local taekwondo coach cannot visit the camp regularly. So in a way, the pandemic has forced World Taekwondo and the Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation to be creative 
It is true that uh, Kyorugi or sparring has been impacted due to lack of events. But in Taekwondo, we also have Pumse, which is form, and this can be done online. That's why numerous online Pumse events are organized around the world these days. Actually, in fact, uh, the first online World Taekwondo Pumse Championships is taking place now. And we have refugees and also amateurs and families practicing in, in the event. It's not ideal, but uh, it is a way to keep children and their families physically active. And as you know, that the online program can be developed. So I'm planning to organize the competition between the, the refugee camps. For instance, in Jordan, there are two major camps, one in Azraq, which is, we have a Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation, and the Zatari camp, which is a bigger, a little bit bigger camps, but there are also many Taekwondo practitioners. So I'm going to arrange the competition between two goodwill competition, of course, you know, to the, the refugee camps. So it can be motivated you know, to practice more sports in their camps. This is really, what, what a fantastic idea to, to try and move to online solutions, as you, as you say. I mean, it's, it's so important also for, for the interaction and to, and to provide um, children a sense of normality when they're living in, in such, a, such a world, which is not only being impacted by the pandemic, but also those in humanitarian situations are, you know, what, what they're going through. I think uh, this is fantastic that you're able to still maintain some degree of competition and some degree of interaction. Um, what a lot of the so on this podcast today, we're also looking at how we can move forward to a better future, and you know we're seeing the obviously the COVID nineteen pandemic is is a child's rights crisis at the same time, um, and children around the world have been hugely impacted through um, their education being impacted, um, not being able to practice sport. Obviously, the health the health impacts of COVID nineteen, both in terms of either the, the the physical manifestation, but more in terms of not being able to practice sport. And, and also what that does for mental well-being, which I learned a lot about actually when I was um, when, when when we were at the World Taekwondo Symposium. Um, so I would like to ask you, you know, what role do you think sports for development organizations such as Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation can play as sport recommences or, or maybe as the world moves to a time where we start to be able to, to, to restart a lot of activities, what role do you think organizations like the World Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation can play in responding to some of these um, crises that children are facing? Uh, I believe that sports for development organizations like THF should offer hope to the children. In the current climate, government resources and focused on combating the pandemic and projects related to refugees or physical activity can sometimes be overlooked. So sports for development organizations should create partnerships together and promote activities for children, especially through the online platform. So we need to stay relevant and be the beacon of hope. So World Taekwondo is now preparing for the many different kind of online educational programs. So we can contact with our refugee camps and to teach through our virtual educational program. 
I'd like to sort of finish with a with a key question, and and that's, you know, how do we bring sport back safer? Do you have any, if as we look begin begin to look beyond COVID nineteen, what would your call to action be for young athletes, sports organisations, or governments around the world? Some of the key areas they could focus on um, to try and build sport back safer for especially and support children in humanitarian situations through sport. Yes, of course, you know, the COVID-19 has presented a very challenging situation. At the same time, you have to see the silver lining. As a sports organization, it is a time to reset and be relevant in new ways. As I mentioned earlier, partnership among sports for development organizations should happen. So, for instance, in the past, we did not have much interaction with the WHO or United Nations directly, but these days we are in conference calls quite regularly on how to combat the pandemic together, how to organize safer events, how to implement medical guidelines, and so on. So we should look at how sports organizations could pool resources together for joint education and physical activities programs, especially online. Safeguarding standards cannot drop, and we should focus on how the pandemic has affected mental health of the children and adults as well. So I remember Pope Pop Francis said this, life is good when you are happy, but much better when others are happy because of you. So for our stakeholders, especially the athletes and children who are our future, it is important to stay positive and active. The message to everyone is humankind has overcome many challenges throughout our history. This pandemic is a challenge, of course, that we will overcome as well together. It was such a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Cho and to hear about the amazing work that the Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation is doing, work which really embodies how children's rights can be impacted and protected in, through and around sport. Elder and Ajat, as we near the end of this final episode of this series, and I know that we've really touched on a lot of topics today, but if there was one summary call to action that you might give to young athletes or sports organisations or governments around the world about the role that sports can play as we move forward, what might that be? I, uh, very shortly, I think we did many call for action since the beginning. <laughs> exactly, yeah, there's so many, so many, <laughs> but they're so good. Now, I think really is to see sports as part of, you know, ensuring education, development, well-being of children, ensuring, you know, safe, nurturing, empowering, inclusive environment for children and for the community and ensuring, you know, a wonderful economic development, but not only economic, sustainable and human development, and is the best way to reduce inequalities. If we really think, and this is my last call, to make sure that sport, physical activities, recreative are really seen as an investment as well as child protection, 
social protection, health, mental health, education, to make sure that they are seen as an investment and the priority within you know recovery in the socio-economic recovery package and here you know the big sports organization could also be based on solidarity could provide you know support financial uh, and technical support really to this socio-economic recovery plans that will include all these pieces including sports. Thank you, Najat. Such a central role, as you're saying, that sport can play here. Uh, Elda, a call to action from you? Well, everything that Najat said, plus <laughs> maybe uh, also adding that, I mean, there's so much energy, so much creativity, innovation, uh, potential in sport. And uh, and I think where we are still missing something also is in the capacity of the, the different actors of the sport community to work together. You know, it is solidarity between big sports organization and smaller sport organization, but it also, so, uh, you know, uh, partnerships between governments, uh, local national authorities and uh, sports organizations, with the private sector, with sponsors, with the tech industry, with the tourism industry. So I think that there is uh, really this effort has to be a collective effort. And I think that, of course, if we put children at the heart of this effort, I mean, uh, it's going to be just wonderful. So. Elder, thank you so much. And what a beautiful sentiment to end the series on. I really feel as though I've been part of a masterclass today. And I'd, I'm so grateful to have been part of this enlightening and empowering conversation with our incredible guest, Dr. Najat Mala Majid, United Nations Special Representative of the Secretary General on Violence Against Children, Elder Moreno, Head of Children's Rights and Sports Values Department at the Council of Europe, and Dr. Chongwon Cho, President of World Taekwondo. Throughout this entire series, we've discussed the many ways in which the COVID-19 pandemic and the absence of sport is impacting the world's children. We know that children's rights can be addressed in, through and around sport. And we're so grateful of, for the time and the expertise of all their guests and their powerful calls to action. And as we come to the end of this series, on behalf of the Centre for Sport and Human Rights, we'd like to thank you again and thanks to our incredible guests for their passion and generosity in discussing these crucial topics affecting millions of children across the world. And to you, our listeners, thank you so much for being a part of this really important conversation. For more information, please visit the Centre for Sport and Human Rights website at sporthumanrights.org. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Sport and Human Rights. Thank you so much for joining us.